And we're live. There we go. Welcome back, everybody, to the MSG Podcast. As always, we're your hosts. I'm David. Trey. And today we have a very special guest. It's somebody from both Trey and mine's past. Uh, We went to high school with this guy way back in the day. So give it up for Matthew Wong. Hello, hello. I'm honored. Thank you for being here, Matthew. We're glad to have you. Had to get that clap. Thank you for being for inviting me here to this podcast. I of appreciate course, it. Of course, of yeah. course. We've been meaning to get you on as a guest for a long time, and uh, we've had some conflicted schedules at times, so we're glad to finally have you here. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's like a roadblock sometimes. You want to schedule anything because you plan things out, but then someone else's schedule changes, and another person's schedule changes, and sometimes it just doesn't work out, so I'm happy that, hey, today it did, and we're yeah. here. So It yeah, must have been good. meant to be. <laughs> Was it we, destiny? It could have been. Fate? All of the above. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're just, we're lazy. Very, very, yeah. Not very good at communication. That's... Nah. We, we hardly ever do it. As long as you're not a business major, you can get away with it. So yeah. That's okay. That's what we tell ourselves. <laughs> one day. Well, one day, David will go in the business. Yeah, yeah. One, one day. It's going to be a long, right. long time from now. <laughs> Maybe that day's today. Oh, hey, there you go. You got a job for me? <laughs> Depends. What's your skill set? Uh, everything. Uh, yeah, a little of everything. Oh, boy. I recommend you. Yeah. Thank you. you. Since you have everything, it's perfect. Right. Well Somebody on our way. Nobody can refuse me. <laughs> can't refuse what you can't touch. There you go. There you go. I'm out of yeah. here. See y'all later. <laughs> oh, this is fun. Yeah. Yeah. So, Matthew, are you in school right now? Um, I'm not in school at the moment. I graduated from University of Texas at Dallas, or UT Dallas for short, spring 2020, which was also the semester where COVID hit. hit. So it's quite an interesting time, but I'm currently working. What do you do? do? I'm an assistant analytics consultant at Blue Cross Blue Shield, been working since June 2020. Dang. So you're already like the boss, right? Oh, yes, of course. I tell people what... No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You have to start from the bottom to get to the top, but... As of now, just enjoying what I'm doing. Working from home is pretty nice as well. Oh, so that's nice. It's convenient. You have pros and cons. Pros is they don't have to drive to work, so that's very convenient. Save the gas money, save car maintenance. But the bad is that there's some coworkers who I've seen their names. They've typed messages on like the online client, but I've never seen their faces, mm-hmm. never heard their voices. I don't even know what they look like. I've worked them for they're like five months. Yeah. They're not yes. even real. They're not real, yes. And... <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Wow. That's pretty nice. I'm glad you finally did get into work. And it, is it full-time as much as you can work? or? Yeah, it is full-time. And, David, I appreciate you emphasizing finally because, yeah, I know you, you're a working man and working very hard. Yeah, but see, I don't he's have He's just showing degree, off. So, he's like, you know, you're already one up in me. No, he's just flexing. I'm like, yeah, he's flexing. He's always working. He's like, ha, <laughs> finally. That's a, don't take that from him. <laughs> Kick me out. It <laughs> was the second time we kicked you out. Exactly. I'm just kidding. But yeah, it is full-time work. So until I get fired, so whether that's tomorrow or the day after tomorrow or the day after that. So yeah, I'll keep working until that happens. Hopefully not. So yeah, yeah we'll hope for the best. Hopefully you don't get fired. <laughs> yes, we prepare for the worst, but we hope for the best. There so. you go. That's how you do it. It's good life mantra. Yes, that's wise words from YouTube. <laughs> wise words saying wise words? Yes. Amen. I'm not, I'm not wise, though. David's the wise no, one. No, I'm not. We're, we've been over this. 100%. David's the wise one. I'm, I'm just random. I just parrot what's in the Bible. That's, that's what does it. Random wise words, maybe. You know, I don't think random can be wise. You never know. You know, monkey typing on a, a typewriter, that'll eventually get... That's just a coincidence. 
That's just a coincidence. Randomized word. Are you calling me a monkey now? <laughs> Next subject. Uh, <laughs> you phrased that directly towards me as a monkey. <laughs> Not intentionally. I mean, we're sitting across from you each other. You know what? I'm I'll take it. I'm trying to talk into the microphone. I mean. Hey, man. Hey, man. You don't got to be like that. Ugh. Yeah. Well, it, it's been a long time since. It, yeah. Yeah, it's been a long time. So I remember, like, so you said 2014 is when. That w- that's when I left. GCA. So that was the last time I saw you. And I know I graduated with David in 2016. And to be honest, I really haven't done much with GCA or like high school stuff ever since. It's I, don't, all... I don't think either of us have. Mm-mm. Not with GCA or high school no. in general. I did a few things, but just because my sister was still going there. And once she yeah. graduated, it was Yeah, that's fair. Done. Yeah, it's almost like a previous like experience or something. Like, yeah, sure, it's something that we all experienced. But at the same time, it's not really something that actively directly influences our day-to-day life because most of my memories come from college now so there are high school memories but it's not something that stands out first yeah sort of like a past life it's like way back there in the back precisely i get that that's fair yeah sometimes i find myself thinking about high school a lot but it's not often it's like every once in a while it'll come up and it's only just it's not even like it's just like missing the old days yeah i think that's all it is about high Times school were simpler back then even if you had homework and all that yeah terrible terrible stuff but a lot of fun memories though yeah yeah it's the blessing and curse of nostalgia you long for times of the past but if you really think about it sometimes it's like oh the bad parts like oh homework late nights you have to stay up study to do well yeah, but there's also fun memories as well. It's like, hey, some good memories in class, good extracurricular activities. It really just depends what you choose to prioritize to remember. Yeah, yeah. I think in general people will usually forget the bad before they forget the good. I mean, it, it, it sort of distills out of your mind until you're just left with the highlights. There's some people that op- operate the opposite way, yeah. but for the most part, I know with my own dad, uh, we would go on a hiking trip every summer. And every trip, he would say, this one is my last, because it would just absolutely wreck him physically. You know, he's not in the best shape, but, you know, he, he, would, yeah. he would go on it, and he would survive. But then, by the next summer, he'd forget all the, the physical pain. He'd go, well, let's go hiking again. You, you, you forgot. Last year, you said never again. But it's like, <laughs> you forget all of the pain and the suffering, and yeah. you remember the good parts. So. Yeah. That's yeah, fine. That's definitely what... I know I can relate to in most instances. It's like sometimes like the detailed nuances of past bad experiences can fade. But I've often found as well in college, people I talk to, people I just see, they tend to share more of the things that were bad or things that were suboptimal in the past. Maybe they had some traumatic past experiences or maybe something just didn't go according to plan. But it's something that kind of inverted what I expected to see when I entered college. So that. Hmm. It's interesting. I'm not saying that's for everybody. I'm not even saying that's a right or a wrong thing. I'm just saying that from anecdotal experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for sure. I mean, if you had a, a very bad emotional or traumatic experience, it sticks with you. Maybe the sharpness of the sting of that event goes away, but the that the weight of it will stay with you. Yeah. So. Yeah. I definitely. I think we all have like good and bad memories from high school or college. Yeah. <laughs> Or even before that, so. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no. I think that's, it's fair. Interesting. I think that's what helped you grow, though. It, those, it does. those bad memories definitely, I think, help you grow as a person for the future. So. Yeah, I think we can all, you know, at some time, I know for myself, I'll go. Yeah, I wish I could go back and experience some of the high points, but 
if I did go back, I'd know I'd have to go through the low points as well. And that's yeah. probably not wise to do. Yeah. I was like, I'm glad I've moved past it. I'm glad it happened. It's like, the good or bad. It's like that time I pulled that uh, fire alarm. <laughs> Y'all remember yeah, that? I do remember. It, Sorry, you I didn't remember. even pull it. You just poked the outer right, case. It, it, it was. It was. It had the the fire alarm and it had the the plastic case on top and it said pull off plastic in order to pull the fire alarm Thanks. and I was, and I was looking at it and it was all four of them all four corners were screwed in I was like you have to rip this off the wall just to get to the thing so I was playing with it, it and I was like messing with the bottom and it just popped up I was like oh shoot and the oh. and the alarm went off <laughs> I was like oh man it's over <laughs> See, and the funny part is, if they hadn't had that protective casing, you wouldn't have normally. Yeah, I would have never fire. touched it other than a fire. So, but they made you curious. Hey, man, I, I don't know. They should just remove the casings. Then. They should. <laughs> We're high school students. That'd be a strong argument for that. It's like in a real emergency, you're gonna think you're gonna pull the emergency fire alarm system, but then there's something in the way, and then you hesitate. Yeah. And there's a couple right. seconds of precious time that you lose in a real emergency. Never went yeah. nice. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> I don't know. There were so many people in that hallway, too. I remember that. Because I was waiting for art. When we were waiting for our teacher to unlock the door for art. And right next to the yeah. door, there's a little uh, corner. And that's where the uh, fire alarm was at. Oh, it's coming back now. Yeah. And I was just sitting there. I was like, I wonder what this does. And then, Matthew, were you there that day that I accidentally let a bird loose in the hall? I don't remember this, but my memory is also not the best. So maybe. It, it was only... It was a short period of time between classes and it, it might have been towards when the bell was supposed to ring so you might have already been in class i know you were very punctual but yeah, I, I, I let a, yeah. a a bird hit the window downstairs when we were waiting for school to start and i thought it was dead so i went out there to look at it and it was still alive i thought its wing was broken so i, I went to uh the the secretary lady and, and got a shoe box put the bird in there put it in my locker because i thought i'm gonna nurse this thing back to health and then a couple periods pass and Mrs. Lanou's walking through the, the hallway, and I, I wanted to show her the bird. So I get in my locker, and I, I open the shoebox a little bit just so she can look in there. And the bird flies out straight in her face, and now it's loose in the hallway upstairs with everybody in the hallway. So there are people screaming and diving for cover, and this thing's going back and forth. Oh, it's like it, it over dramatic. Why would you dive on the ground? I don't know. It's, it's a it's, bird. It's, it's not high school not a... students. It was like high, high school girls. Like, why do you, why do you expect them like to They do? really dive on the ground? Yeah. Why would you get the bird? They were fleeing and screaming. And, oh, it was terrible. <laughs> I wish I was I, there for that. I must have yeah, missed this. I, that, that was not a good day. <laughs> Like, in my Dude. defense, it's possible there was some extra school activity I was at. Or <laughs> yeah, it could have been. I was scared of being late for a class. It's possible, but I do remember sort of the bird because it's not 100% vague, but I, I should have remembered that. that you is, probably heard about it. I did, for sure. Yeah. That's, oh, iconic sure mo- that's an iconic moment, though. Maybe you can duplicate that again for, like, a film or something. That's sure. Oh, yeah. If I ideas. paid a lot of money, I'll go through that. Did, you, did you get in trouble for that? Like, what? Nothing? No, okay. No. I just put the bird back outside, and nobody said a word afterwards. Miss Lanou wasn't mad? No, no. I mean, I think she was more shocked than anything. It, it was probably just one surprised. of those things she just blurred was... over and, and never never thought of there again. There you go. <laughs> there was always something weird going on at GCA. But... Dude. Always. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was, it was the good times. <laughs> Best of times. Remember remember when I was, I was uh, we were all at the table, at the lunch table, and it was like, and it was us three, and then you had like Taylor and Gavin, and I was doing, I was like acting out something, or I was talking to people, 
and uh, there was a, a little packet of ketchup in front of me, and I went like I hit the the table hard enough to where it splattered Gavin. all over Gavin, and it <laughs> yes. went on the wall behind it. <laughs> I remember that. I wasn't there. I remember that. that. Were you not there? Mm-hmm. That, that was that hilarious. Was I remember that because I didn't even mean to do it. It just happened, and then all the teachers like cleaned it out. I was like, yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> now I know I missed the bird incident because yes, yeah, that was I remember one. that. That ketchup was hilarious though, because it wasn't even planned. I was just happy he didn't hit me. <laughs> I think I was like, Amen. No, I only hit Gavin. He was directly in front of me. <laughs> so he was the target. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I maybe we shouldn't job. go back in time. Oh, maybe. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, man. man. But that was awesome. It was. It was, it was a little too awesome. And then I left. <laughs> yeah. And then y'all, like y'all missed me. I know. Yeah, no, we, I was sad you weren't there. Like, you were part of the friend group. The squad. Just like the ripping squad. it the apart. Squad. And, Taylor and then Taylor left. left. Like, he, yeah. I think he left. Didn't he leave like halfway through the semester? Or he was there for one semester? I'm pretty sure that's what he did. Because he was there the yeah, year after like, I left. Like and then I think like Christmas he left. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was not good. Hey, Amen. It is what it squad. is. Y'all should have came to my school, man. Should have. You could break the rules so easy, so much easier. I, and get away with stuff. I'm I'm actually I'm glad that I stuck with GCA even though it no, was no, painful. No. But <laughs> you know, he doesn't respect me or my school. I, I didn't say that. You, you put <laughs> he thinks he's mouth. better than me. You know what? I didn't have a dress code. Congratulations. Just like we learned about uh, Jesus this morning at church. You know, I, I just won't say anything. I'm just going to stay silent. Active practice. That's the right. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. We taught about rocks at my school and didn't teach about Jesus. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Jesus is the rock. Ah, uh, there you go. So, ooh. See? He got has that solid theology. That's what I'm talking about. He's wise. Uh, Very wise. See, now I, I'm sad I don't have a mem- like a s- explicit memory from GCA from the lunch table. Like, I do remember on the high school senior trip to Greece, it was, I know the teachers were getting mad at, I think, the group we were, David and I were in on oh. the trip. Oh. And I think, I think his name was Sterling. He was oh, walking yeah. on the edge of the, so there's like a three-story, um, like, mini apartment that people were staying at, or a hotel. I've got the exact building yeah, type. So there's... There's a rail on the outside, so of course, on the balcony, it's to protect it from falling over. But this guy decided all of a sudden to climb on the outside portion of the rail. He went from like room to room, crossing over because he was truly living his best life. Well, maybe, maybe a little bit extreme, but it was definitely something that I remember because it was chaotic and yeah. people got so mad after that. I mean, I was taking it seriously at the time, but looking back at it, it's just funny. It's just yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny. I, it's crazy. I was maybe a little not not ticked at that, but it was eye opening to me because before the the trip, they sat down with everybody and said, "Okay, look, you, you're not going to do these things. You're not going to act out. You're going to behave yourself. We're, we're representing not only America but GCA as well. Yeah, like, this is a big deal. If if you do anything to embarrass us or or you know." maybe hurt yourselves or something, you're going on a plane immediately back home. And so that was one of those things where it's like, okay, he did something, he was acting out, he could have very badly hurt himself. Yeah. Uh, he, he was disrespecting America and GCA, and they didn't send him home. And I was like, okay, so you, you, just you a lay down the law, words. and then you just sort it was of just, it, it wasn't. They probably weren't enforcing it, it was just a scare tactic. Yeah, but yep. that, that was so, eye-opening. It's like, okay, that's that was the extent of what it was. Yeah. I feel like people started acting out a little bit more after that, because they realized, okay, that there was no respect after yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, when you're in like friend groups like that, especially when y'all were uh, cross seas, it's definitely... 
um, to try out new things, even if they're against the rules. It's fun, especially when you're with your friends. And I won't so, say I was perfectly behaved either, so that's not one is. of these like <laughs> holier-than-thou moments, but I thought that was interesting. Nobody's perfect, man. Of course. So I'm, I'm less perfect than most. <laughs> and I'm lesser perfect than no, him. We're not going to get into that, <laughs> that thing again. <laughs> So serve the least of these and problem yeah, solve. There you go. Right? Yeah. All serve each other and we're bingo. Yeah. <laughs> we're all bottom of the food chain. Mm-hmm. Amen. So. I mean, it's like, I guess just one more thing on that. It's when you define a standard of some sort and there is a repercussion to the standard, if it's not fall, acted upon, it makes the other words of the rhetoric seem empty in yeah. a sense. Like you can lay a minor punishment and act upon it. And in my opinion, that's more effective than a major hypothetical punishment that nothing happens to it. Right. It's like empty empty words, empty talk happen a lot, though. It's not just in schools, institutions. Like, you see politicians do it. They make promises, claims they're going to do something, and then they, maybe they do a little bit of it, but they don't do all of it. So it's just enough to please some people, but not all people. Mm-hmm. And it's one of my personal life experiences is that words do matter, and what you say and what you dictate to others can really make an impact for better or for worse on people's state of being, what people do in the future. Maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but you never know which sentence is going to be remembered, something I would mm-hmm. say. Yeah. That's very true. Yeah, I agree. I read or heard somewhere, um, it was an interesting bit of theology, uh, but coming from Genesis, you know, God, when he created man, he gave us some of his authority in ruling over the earth. So, you know, he, he created man, created earth and all creatures, and then he bequeathed the authority to rule over the earth to man. And the significant you know, power that came with that essentially was our own voice, essentially, you know, because we were we were tasked with naming the animals. So it's like a spoken word. And, you know, God's own power of creation was spoken word. So he gave us a bit of that power in our own responsibility. And how when we fell, I think a lot of that power fell out of our voice, out of the spoken word, but I think there's still some left. And so, you know, words are... are can be some of the most damaging things to a person. I mean, if you, if you speak terribly about somebody to their face, it has a, a terrible emotional impact. Words, you know, if you think about it logically, they shouldn't really have that kind of an impact. But perhaps some of that power, just a little tiny fraction is still left in there. The power to build up or the power to tear down. Yeah, we can't go say to the grass, you know, die or, or grow. Yeah. But there might be just enough left to, to act on people. I was like, I thought that was interesting because I think that might be true. Because yeah, yeah. ordinarily, like yeah. yeah, words shouldn't be able to hurt a person, but they can. They can just be absolutely devastating. I think it has to do like your confidence, your self-esteem. So if you have all these people telling you you're trash at something, then you're gonna feel trash at that. Compared to if yeah. you have a bunch of people hyping you up, then you're gonna be more confident to go yeah, and do you'd be that. Be overconfident. That and way. be overconfident. Yeah. So I think that's for what sure. it is. But even even just one person saying it, because it's like one of those things, if you sow a little doubt in a person on anything, they can never get that out of their head. It's always going to be in the back of their head. Yeah. Now, like, you know, they can suppress it or other things can come and cover over it, but it'll always be there. It's like if you want to get somebody to distrust somebody, you just spin a yarn, or, you know, or you, you, you tell them a little, a little lie and yeah. get the person to distrust them that way. So it's like, okay. 
it's a fascinating thing. I'm not I'm not trying to create new theology here, but no, no, yeah, no there no, might be yeah. some truth to that. Yeah, if you have all these people telling you something good, and then you just one person tells you something bad, usually that one person that told you something bad, their voice is going to be a lot louder in your head. Yeah, when you go do these things compared to all the other people who are for you than against you. So, right, it can go both ways for sure. Yeah. And it's like I like David what you pointed out. Again, you can look at. I think it's James. It's one of those New Testament epistles. It says that the tongue is like one of the vilest poisons that is put possible at its worst. And it's definitely something. And like other passages which say it's like be quick to listen, slow to speak, which is a little bit ironic since we're doing a podcast right now. And the whole purpose of this is to speak for the intentions. But at the end of the day, it is it's important principles because it's the opposite of our instincts because what do we do when we hear something that we really don't like? Like something, like don't, you don't have to say it out loud, but just think of something that you vehemently disagree with, something that you just can't think could possibly be true or correct or right or whatever you want. And someone else says that to you. Is your first instinct going to be, I'm just going to listen to what they say and then I'm just going to let them speak and then I'm going to respond after? Or is the first instinct going to be, no, you're wrong. How could you think such a thing? And yeah. so and so. And it's something that, I've realized can lead to a lot of, I don't want to get too far with this, but I feel like it can lead to a lot of polarization with this type of um, mentality. Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Because people, people innately want to be listened to. They want to, to at least have the semblance of value. And, and a lot of people, you know, some people, they're, they're talking from a place because they want attention. They want people to listen to them. So it doesn't matter what they say as long as they're getting attention. But I don't think that's most people. You know, some people they've really thought through their ideas, and they want acknowledgement for them. And so, if they present their ideas to you, and you all, all of a sudden shout them down because you're of a differing opinion, it doesn't do anybody any service. You know, they they could be absolutely wrong, but that you know, you shouting them down is not going to get them to listen to the voice of reason. But yeah, sitting there and, and listening to them, which is contrary to our nature from from birth. Uh, is something that I think is really only possible through Christ in the first place. And then two, it's it's incredibly eye-opening to people that are on the receiving end of that. Because I think in our society today, we expect that. You know, when we say something that's divisive, we expect to be challenged and, and challenged hard and vocally. But if we, you know, present our opinions expecting to be lambasted and then all of a sudden you get somebody that sits there and thinks about it and goes, okay, well, I can see where you're coming from, but have you thought about these things? And actually have a civil discourse on it. That's incredibly rare. You start listening to that person and what they have to say. So it, it's an incredible tool, and it, that it is scripturally sound is something that I think only reinforces the Bible as God's word because you, you don't just get that. You don't come up with that idea and have it be true. It's, it's something that really must be inspired Oh, that's my two bits. <laughs> yeah, my yeah. I, I think that's true. Oh, y'all know a lot more about scripture than I do. <laughs> David's no, just we, killing we, it right here. No, no. David, all, hey man, David always kills it. Yes, I'll let y'all talk now. He's the anchor. <laughs> no, always deferring no. to others too when he gets praised too. That's just such a yeah. good attribute. So it's very good. It's a I'm skill. Just it's a <laughs> skill to have. But just like building off of what David said as well, it's we sometimes it's. What I like to call the heat of the moment type um, reactions and responses can be very, I don't know what you call it exactly, but it can 
be kind of deceiving in a sense. Let me explain what I mean. So when you're in the heat of an argument with someone, or you're talking with someone, you're meeting somebody, you're just doing whatever, you don't really tend to realize the implications of what you're doing. You're representing something. You're representing what you stand for. You represent who you are. People find out, oh, you're a Christian. And then if you speak words which go contrary to biblical values, then people will get the perception of, well, so-and-so is a Christian, but so-and-so said this, approved that, did this, did that. So that means, so then there's, then you can build upon a false premise to build a false conclusion. That means all Christians do this. That means most Christians do that. That means most people, oh, you went to private school. Private school people do this. Oh, you went to a community college or state college or whatever, or not to college. They are that. Generalizations are not good, but they are very easy to do. And you can't really, quote unquote, like say you're absolved from the blame if the conduct and rhetoric that is used goes contrary to the values you state. Because you can say whatever you want. You can say whoever you want to be, whatever values, whatever religion, whatever political group you ascribe to. That's all fair and that's all good. But if you deviate from the path which is set before you based on those values, People are going to view you as a hypocrite, and that's just the unfortunate truth of it. And it'll denigrate from your own stance, no matter how right or wrong it is. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I've said this before that, like, um, obviously, you know, like, um, you know, to do all these sins of the Christian, obviously we will sin, right? We will make right. mistakes. But then it, when you're openly choosing to continuously doing this and taking, say, the name of a Christian you're kind of representing everybody else who is a Christian, so you're making a bad rep for them. Yeah. And something I think is, I think um, there not as many Christians as there are are actually not that good. I think a lot of people claim to be Christians and are fake, are lying about it. I think, there are quite a few. I think their actions show in that. Not saying that all Christians aren't Christians, obviously. I'm just saying your actions, you tend to speak louder than your words. Yeah, By the fruits, they're, they're known. So, so if you spend your time around that person who claims to be a Christian, like, oh, they'll go to church with you, this or that, then you'll see their actions throughout day-to-day basis or whatever, and it'll be like, you know, that's kind of questionable. But, yeah, exactly. But it it's, also isn't, like, mine or yours to say whether or not that person is or isn't saved, this or that, but yeah. Yeah, well stated. And absolutely, we don't know 100% for sure whether someone is Christian or not, as you said, because that's God's knowledge and God's alone. But as David also pointed out, like... There is fruits, there's evidence which can point, oh, more likely, less likely. Again, it's up to God at the end of the day, but yeah. sometimes you can tell. Sometimes you can't. just depends. Yeah. Yeah, C.S. Lewis um, in Mere Christianity over there, um, he, he talked a lot about that, which is you know the, the process of sanctification is an ongoing process. So from the moment you're saved, you know, you're, you're definitely going to heaven. Um, but your actions don't necessarily immediately you know, become perfect. You're not a glowing individual from you, you definitely are changed immediately, but in terms of necessarily like your outward progression, it's not always so. It's not instant. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a instant. growth. You're, you're right. climbing a hill. And so you know, the moment after someone's saved, you could probably tell they're saved, perhaps, because there will be a difference in them. But he's real big on on the thought that like you'll only just be getting started in the process of sanctification by the end of our physical lives. It's, it's such a long and arduous per, uh, process that's worked out by the Holy Spirit. Like there, There's going to be some real value in what we get and some, some things that we can put into practice uh, right away. But 
and there's also some people that that are more sanctified than others they get it much quicker and so that their, their lives are much more visibly christian is what we would say than than others but it's, it's like i said you, you can't judge even by one's actions you might think okay that guy is definitely not a christian but they might very well be and there's something that's going on that's preventing them from yeah outwardly acting as a christian would act so that's where it gets dangerous with the signing people like yeah yeah don't don't obviously yeah. it's because i've been guilty judging. of that in the past where it's like that, that person cannot that, i can't see a reason why they would be a christian but they might be yeah it's it's like a delicate balancing act i would say for a bit because yes you can conceptually think that oh someone's christian or someone's not a christian vice versa but at the end of the day, it's not like if someone is a Christian or more Christian, however you call it, or yeah. less Christian, that yeah. all of a sudden, like, and a quick tangent, like, it's easy to put barriers. That's what I would say. It's yeah. easy to make excuses with barriers on why someone or so-and-so is not really worth it to have a conversation with. Oh, I'm not going to spend as much time on so-and-so because I, my personal bias thinks this like i've taken my place of god and i've already made a subconscious judgment and i can say it's because i've done this in the past and it's really unfortunate i'm working hard to try to fix it but it's definitely something that's easy like pers- like beauty's in the eye of the beholder is a common phrase but sometimes the beholder is incorrect and you gotta be really careful about judgments and perceptions and what we do i'm not saying do one thing all the time or the other time i'm just saying being careful is important. Yeah. Thinking it through is important. Waiting a little bit before the first instinct and letting the first instinct run out and really thinking about it, praying about it, talking to other people in your church community or whatever community you're in, that can go a long way into making a better decision than what we thought was best. Yeah. No, and it's interesting that you brought up that exact process because that's exactly how we're supposed to to work out what god's will for us is uh in in our lives in general so it's like you know the the way most christians modern day christians would think the way you know interpreting god's will would be is to look for signs you know it's like should i go on this mission trip and then you you start watching everything and if you hear the name of the place you're going to go on the mission trip a couple times you think oh god's god's putting things in my path to show me that that's where i'm going to go on missions and so you go over there it's like so you think that's god and you know giving you signs but as far as i understand looking for signs is something of a, a pagan tradition whereas how you really go about looking for god's will for your own life is you read scripture and you pray about it over every choice you have and you talk to other people that are more knowledgeable in scripture than you are and you ask their opinion on on your choices and you really meditate on on okay what what God already doing in my life what gifts has He given me that kind of thing it's it's a very slow process instead of a you know I'm I'm looking I think this is where He wants me to go and so I'm gonna look for any coincidence that points in that direction and that's where I'm gonna go and then claim that you know God has led me down that path I think that's that's extremely dangerous that was a bit of a tangent from what you were talking about but it's like a similar kind of process it, you have to slow down. And, and really dwell on the word first and really be prayerful about it and earnest in your prayers. About, okay, where am I supposed to go? And I've heard it said there's multiple types of God's will. It's not just one will. There's, there's the hidden will, which he doesn't 
intend for us to know, and then there's the will that he reveals ongoing. Um, it's like the difference between secret and mystery. Secret is never intended to be revealed, but a mystery is supposed to be revealed. If you look throughout Scripture, there's, there's multiple mysteries of the Scripture that are revealed in the New Testament, but there were mysteries in the Old Testament that they just, you know, before Christ died, they, they couldn't exactly see what his death had to do with anything. They were, they were puzzled because they, they thought their Messiah was going to come down and he was going to conquer the world and reign supreme. He is going to do that, but it's, it wasn't clear to them at the time that he had to die first. It, it, I'm talking about it a thousand things at, at once, but it's it's fascinating. Yeah, no, yeah. I think we agree. Yeah, so. thank you, Pastor David. I no, really no, do. No. I'm, I'm bungling my scripture now. Every, every time, dude. Every time. That's part of what they were talking about. Yeah, that, earlier in church. <laughs> yeah, me and Trey have been going to the same church for, I guess. I've, I've been twice. Now. I've been going for about four and a half months now. He's Hold been there for a year. He's lying. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. So, yeah. Glad you're enjoying it. I told David he should be a pastor. Like, he probably could. You got the voice, you got the attitude, you got that spunk. That's probably the reason why I shouldn't do it. <laughs> All the more. We'll see. We'll see what God does for me. Maybe. I better be reading and, and praying and <laughs> talking to people. I'll Perfect him. answers. Yeah. yeah. So. I'll, I'll push him when he gets to the edge. That's right. That's good. Just throw him Get off. Get in there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I agree. So yeah, not much more to add for me either. It's very good. New subject, <laughs> more religion. <laughs> oh my gosh! How about that code of Hammurabi? <laughs> I don't know anything about that. Now that was something I've I've never been completely clear on uh, is whether or not Israel was subjected to the code of Hammurabi like before I said, I God's don't. law. I don't think so. I think that was a separate society. I've only heard that term before, so I don't really know what that is either. Like, I'm, I'm not the best historian. I'll, I'll only say it a little bit. Um, my understanding of it is that it was uh, pretty much the eye for an eye law that, that is brought up from time to time. They were, they were obviously knowledgeable about it in the Bible, but it was, it was a very harsh law, but it was a law, which, you know, yeah, if you accidentally hit somebody and they lost their eye, you would have to lose your your eye. Or if you accidentally killed someone, you would be killed. It was it was evenly balanced, but it, it had absolutely no uh like forgiveness in the law, essentially. So if it really was a true accident, there was no, okay, it was an accident, he gets to go free kind of thing. It was you kill somebody then you're dead. So I, I think that was it's an interesting parallel to uh, God's law, because there is, you know, forgiveness involved with God's law. So, Code of Hammurabi was pretty much the best that mere humans could come with, up with at the time, and it was it was brutal. That's fair. Um, Let's bring it back. Oh boy, I'm sure there's people out there that would love to. I'm sure they you are. You solve some problems and you create a bunch more. So. I'm down. <laughs> it's like a game of Monopoly. You never know what you're gonna get. With any law, you've got to have a basis for that, though. It's like, well, in God's law, the basis for that is God. And it's because he said so. But there's reasons why he said so. It's not shrouded mystery. Yeah. Um, Whereas every other law, it has to be based on something. And if it's like our modern law, which they're trying to get rid of God actively, I mean, all of our laws were 
pretty much based off of biblical law. But if they remove God, there's no basis for the law, so it becomes subjective. And I think that's why you're starting to see a lot of the laws that were sacred, you know, like the marriage laws and all those, they're starting to dissipate because they've taken God out of the equation. So there's really no reason why it can't change. There's no foundation for it. Yeah. The fall of America. Yeah. That's the prophecy. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Eventually it'll be everywhere. I mean, just off topic. Some people think the Babylon and Revelation refers to America, but I I highly doubt. Actually, I really don't know. So. Yeah. A lot of fun stuff. It's fun reading uh, Revelation interpretation because you, you, we've had decades upon decades of people trying to interpret what you know Gog and Magog and the different elements that are present in Revelation stand for. I mean, it, you know, it's been Russia and, and Iran and. Every time somebody predicts this is the end of the world and these are the pieces in play, it's been wrong. So it's like, I'm, I'm not really sure we're given to, to know what it is. I mean, at, at some point, somebody's going to predict it and it's going to be right. Maybe not the time and date, but they'll get the elements right just out of pure chance. But I think a lot of people put way too much priority on figuring out what is what in Revelation and not on what Revelation teaches us that we ought to be doing. Yeah, and it's staying like... Staying awake. <laughs> And it's like we see as well that Christ himself said that the angels don't know the hour, neither the Son himself, but only the Father. And so that's, if the angels and the Son himself don't know when the hour is, how can we expect to predict that April 17th, 20th, whatever, is going to be the end at 10 p.m.? It's, it's going to happen when, right then. When you really right think then. of... <laughs> yes, just watch the broken clock be right this time. But it's just, it's just a... I'm trying to phrase this carefully. Practice what I just said earlier. Like it's it it feels like just a fundamental misinterpretation of just how people should even view Revelation. It's a complicated book. It's something that we see in the early chapters is to be read aloud, which is something that we don't really hear too often in modern churches. Like you'll hear a passage being read like five verses, ten verses, but they actually back in like really old like church tradition they would read the entire letter or epistle aloud to the people who were to hear it that's partially because the text wasn't available you can't read it in the bible which you can now but it's still some interesting thing that i noticed that people in modern times don't usually do i'm not saying it's a bad thing to not do it i'm saying something interesting that's no longer done yeah for sure there's a lot of little things especially in revelation which are fascinating i mean I think there's a lot we can glean from the first, the the letters at the beginning. Um, I think that's where a lot of the wisdom of Revelation comes because we can closely apply those letters to different churches in different places. Uh, gosh, I can't remember if it's the Church of Laodicea or one of those that, that closely mirrors our own church in in modern times. Not necessarily our church, the one the like building we go churches. to. But yeah, the church yeah. in America. Yeah. Where it's it's the church that has so much money that we rely more on the money than we do God. Um, so it's that kind of stuff. But just from the prophecy itself in Revelation, the, the, the general idea that we should be getting from that is like this stuff is going to happen and it's going to happen soon. Um, our, our youth group teacher said it at the the sense that like if you're talking about soon not necessarily in terms of time but in terms of closeness to its coming 
And the, the imagery he used for that is like, imagine somebody, you, you're anticipating somebody's coming to see you, right? And so they're going to come to your house and they are standing right outside your front door with their hand on the, the doorknob. And they can, they can turn that doorknob and come in at any time, but you don't know when that's going to be. So it's like they're, the, the time that they're going to be here is close. They're right outside the door ready to come in, but they haven't come in yet. And so that's kind of the imagery that we're supposed to get from Revelation or Matthew 13 um, of, of the closeness of his second coming. Um, but, you know, like even Jesus said, not even he knows that hour or day. Um, so it's like we, we have to be ready at any possible moment Uh for him to come back, we have to live lives as if he's he's going to be here at any second. Um, sort of like the the parable of the the brides and the the bridegroom, where they all had their lanterns and the oil, and some of them brought extra oil because it was it was going to be a long overnight stay while they were waiting for the bridegroom to get ready. And some of them had enough oil to go into the the feast, and the others had to go try and get some at the last second, and they they weren't able to make it in. I was like, you got to be ready. You got to stay awake. Yeah, and that's yeah. It's a definitely. It's a good reminder for sure. It's less emphasis on he's coming back at this minute, hour, month, day, year. More emphasis on he's going to come back, and it's emphasized numerous times in the gospel, New Testament. He's coming soon. Be ready. Do not be sleeping. Do not be caught off guard. And I know it's very easy to forget about that. Yeah, it's another thing why like just listening, like reading the words, so important because. These fundamental truths are very easy to forget when you just live day-to-day lives and just interact with daily worldly interactions, as everyone must do. But it's something that is emphasized multiple times. If it's said one time, it's important enough. If it's mentioned way more than once, then, well, better pay attention to it. Yeah. In terms of, like, end-time prophecy, I think it's three main revelations. You get Revelation, Matthew 13, and then Daniel... Seven, I think Daniel seven. Don't look at me. I, I don't. Don't, I don't look remember. at me. That was my first guess me? too. But in case it's wrong, it's somewhere okay. in Daniel. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like you've got three main, and it, it's interesting that the prophecies are similar, but they're all different. They use different wordings. So it's like people that try and, and use a literal interpretation on the things that are to happen. It's like it, it doesn't work. It's it's not a literal interpretation. Besides that, prophecy is never literally worked out the way the prophets spoke it it's always a, a one a more complex working out than than what they prophesied and two it's never like oh yeah a giant sea monster came up and he did this thing it's, it was it was a more realistic yeah. uh interpretation than that so we, we gotta be careful <laughs> i i get very confused from every prophecy so i think i'm in i'm in good shoes yeah, like with, i with said you can, else. Mm-hmm. you can question a lot of things in the bible a lot of things are open for interpretation because we may not understand it fully so you can always be curious so yeah i, say I, there I are... don't think people don't need to be afraid if they don't understand revelation it's, it's like nobody understands it yeah. people who say they do are lying it's, it's good to question stuff like that too so yeah just assuming you uh, don't question everything in the Bible, right? So, but yeah, there's a lot of things that are uh, we don't know and such. We don't understand, or we can't fully understand, or whatever. But yeah, yeah, and it's like, is someone questioning in good faith, or is someone questioning to disprove? Because the end goal is 
important because if the end goal is just to say, oh, I want to disprove something, if you find evidence that goes contrary to that, you will just either discard it or find some way to make it fit into the other theory. And so that's not investigating in good faith, that's investigating to prove the point you already, uh, had a presupposition upon. But on the other hand, if there's something that you're really genuinely curious about, you want to investigate, then you don't have a set conclusion. You examine the evidence and then you eventually get upon a path that was more correct than the one you started with, ideally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and there, there is a big difference between the two because there's some people that are out to disprove the Bible in its entirety. And so, you know, they will overlook things that prove the Bible's validity in order to get the, their conclusion. Um, but yeah, there's people that, that are really, you know, they're either confused about things in the Bible or they don't think something's quite true, but they, they're actually looking to learn. That's the, the important part. Yeah. yeah, and then when you build upon that, when you see new believers who just, they converted from a different faith or non-religious belief to Christianity, you tend to find a more passionate, vigorous person who is extremely eager to learn. They want to consume the spiritual food as if they needed it as much as they need to breathe, which is what we should be doing, ideally. But it tends to grow stale or it tends to grow almost even boring in a sense. Like, I hate to use words like that, but if you think about it, you hear the same... If you were raised in a Christian household, you've heard the same gospel story over and over again for pretty much your entire life. Yeah, sure, you learn the more complex elements and aspects of it as you grew older. You learn the more in-depth ways to interpret it as you got older as well. But overall, it's still the same thing you heard, and it's still the best, greatest story ever told. But it's people can have a desensitization effect just because they hear it so many times. But for a new believer, they don't have that quote-unquote baggage with them. They may not fully understand some parts of Christianity that more experienced believers know and even can memorize as like a to in their sleep type of facts. They may not know those things, but they have what's truly important. They have the hunger and the fire for God and something that is sad to see diminish sometimes just because it for the excuse of desensitization or whatever excuse comes in. I'm not saying I know why that happens to most, but something I've noticed personally. Mm. No, I think you're absolutely right. Because uh, I've noticed the same thing. It's been present in my own life. I grew up in a Christian home and went to church all my life. And yeah, it is a desensitization. You learn all the Bible stories, and you th- I think it's a, a situation where you think you know the Bible, and probably think you know it very well. But there's such a danger with thinking you know something through and through. You know, you don't feel like you have to read the Bible anymore because you know it. You know what's going on. You. You know, your Sunday school teacher taught you the importance of Jonah and all these things. So, you know, you can get away with not reading it. But, gosh, the, the power that is present in the Bible, uh, one, is spiritual food. I mean, that's, that's the way in which the spirit is fed um, and you're reinvigorated. Uh, if you don't have that, it, it becomes so easy to fall into sin, to forget the, the essential truths of Christianity, which keep us going and keep us on the right path and the straight and narrow as it were um, yeah it's if you lose that then you've lost essentially your fuel and your your car will sputter out at some point and you'll you'll stop <laughs> yeah. yeah and the reason why i emphasize that a lot is 
not because it's just like, oh, I know this is like once or twice or something. And not just for a point either. It's because it, it affects me a little bit personally because there's there's at least one, I think at least two people that I've known who either grew as Christi- grew up as Christians or were very fervent for the faith. Like even one person, I won't name these people, but there's one person I met that he would be very active in the faith. He would do cold contact evangelism in just more vague terms. I don't want to identify anybody, but that's what that person would do. Mm-hmm. And yet for both of these people, they ended up falling away from the faith. And I talked to one of the people relatively recently, and they said that they had become a Christian atheist, but everything else agnostic. And what that means is they had rejected any possibility that Christianity was or could be the correct religion, but they were open to any other worldview as being possible, which saddened me because it's the one viewpoint that we believe is correct. And so for that to be ruled out as impossible, for some whatever reason they're justified, it is heartbreaking to see. And again, I know I'm being vague a bit, but just for, for anonym- safety, anonymity's sake. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that I think that's all too common with people. I mean, you know, you know the standard for uh, for pastors' kids, where they're they're held to such a rigid standard and uh, in their lives that nine times out of ten they will fall into you know, grave sin as soon as they're out on their own because they're you know they were raised in the church and they know the stuff about church and everything, but because their parents pretty much forced the standards of religion onto them. I'm not saying it happens in every single situation, but it, they, they're they not getting the religion for themselves. It's being forced upon them. So as soon as they get out on their own, they spring away from it because it wasn't ever original. It wasn't real for them. Now, a lot of them, I think, eventually come back to it, but that's probably the more visceral reaction of, of the same kind of thing. It's like, yeah, people who grow up in the church, it's taught to them from such an early age they just you know they, they go along with it but they they don't get that same strength that comes from living in sin for forever and then you finally get saved and then all of a sudden it's like oh yeah this is how it was supposed to be all along they don't get that so i think a lot of people they end up yeah. falling into sin and maybe that happens later on and it becomes real for them yeah and there, be, there comes a point in any person's life where they have to examine for themselves truly what do they actually believe is true or correct, or if you're not a Christian, what is most factual or however secular term you want to use? You have to examine what you really think is right and what, how that differs from what your parents, your peers, those around you tell you is correct. Because I know I, had, I went through this experience personally a couple of years ago. Basically, I'm raised in a traditional Protestant Christian background, and so you, you hear one set of interpretation, one set of teaching your entire life, and so you eventually get told, oh, other religions are false, you don't, don't follow them, like, oh, I believe that, because it's copied, like, you hear it, you say it without even thinking, but sometimes people will challenge those viewpoints, and rightfully so, because sometimes viewpoints need to be challenged, in my mm-hmm. opinion, and so I know I had a... Um, a staunch Catholic friend come up and challenged me on my viewpoints. He said, well, why do you believe in these Protestant viewpoints when you got this point? You could tell he was prepared. So I, he was very zealous for the Catholic faith. So I'll definitely give him credit for that. You get points, arguments, so-and-so. And I would just resort to the common 
Protestant answers I would throw back at them. Like, oh, yeah, you bow down to, like, Mary, you worship Mary, etc. And then you would explain, no, that's not what we actually t- teach. That's just something that's used as an argument to make Protestants, um, like, not deal with the more complex issues with the faith. And so I researched it myself. Like, okay, let me actually look into this on my own. Let's ignore what I've been taught my entire life. Let's just look into this. Let's just study this on my own. And that was a really tough period because I was really conflicted. I was really confused. And for for one of the first times in my life, I really just didn't have a clear picture of what I thought was truly correct. Like I had figured, not I figured out, that's the wrong way to say it. I had pretty much decided that, okay, I know Christianity is the correct religion in my belief, but I didn't know legitimately whether Protestant Christianity was the fullness of the faith, whether it was Catholicism, whether it was Orthodoxy. And that was a time period where it's good to experiment, but it also can be dangerous, because I know the devil, or at least demons, are trying to work to cause me anxiety, cause me some fear, worry, using the fundamentalist um, interpretation of if you don't believe the most exact, precise truth, you're condemned to eternal damnation, things like that. Just however it undermines confidence in what you believe in, or confidence in what is right, that's exactly what the devil is going to use as a tool to try to slowly unscrew the foundations of your principles and your faith. So long story short, I eventually came to my own personal conclusion that, well, okay, here's what all these things teach. I do not understand everything, and that is okay. If eventually in the future I see something that I cannot deny is from God, then I will change. That will convert to a different denomination. If I see something that is undeniably, wow, I can't in good faith deny this, I will convert to another denomination. That's just my stance before God. But to the best of my knowledge, as of this moment, I still view Protestant Christianity as the fullness of the faith because the other denominations, even though they don't have an explicit, oh, this is contradictory to the Bible, the essence of it still I do not feel comfortable with, I do not see as a proper interpretation of things, and so as of this moment, I still remain Protestant. But that's just something that I had to go through to fully reinforce. This is what I believe, not because I was taught by it necessarily as a good start, but because I actually believe this, even if all my friends, family, and everyone I knew suddenly went somewhere else. No. I still think this is correct. Yeah, so... Yeah, because you were you were challenged, it made you go back and double check and pick out the things that you think are right, wrong to fortify what you believe. Yeah, exactly. Oh, I agree with that. Um, I, I I know where I went to high school. At, you know, after I left, um, one of our teachers, um, he he didn't uh, he reinforced the idea uh, he believed in uh, the Big Bang. I'm assuming you all know that. Um, but right. it, one thing he told us was, you know, we were in class one day, and, he's like, and he was talking about it, and he was talking about like how rocks are like 30 billion years old and, you know, all that stuff. And he's like, no matter what you believe, this is factual. Like the, the Big Bang happened, evolution, all this. Now, I didn't say anything personally. I just thought that was kind of dumb. But uh, throughout school, a lot of the people kind of followed in his footsteps, even though I didn't. And uh, I think I think that kind of helps um, reinforce what you think, what you believe. It makes you step back and say, "Let me relook at it. Let me see what's right, what's wrong. Maybe I have something wrong. I don't know." Yeah, but yeah, for sure. 
think probably one of the biggest uh, perhaps faults in the modern church is that they're they're not really trying to train people to think on their own or to really study scripture on their own but more than anything and I'm not talking about all churches uh, but a lot of them are more or less content if people parrot the same answers that the pastor would give Hmm. so it's sort of like in your situation it's like you knew the right counter to all of those generic questions Um, so you were parroting essentially what you were taught all your life but when you you started thinking about it for a second you go well why why is that what and I, I think there is a growing movement now where people are trying to put a much greater emphasis on apologetics uh, most everybody thinks apologetics are something that can only be done by a select few you know that are well equipped to to be able to defend the faith but if we're to believe what scripture says i mean peter tells us that we are to be ready to give an the reason for our hope at any given time. So if someone asks you, okay, well, why, why are you so happy? Why, why do you have hope in this, the middle of this terrible con- conflict? It's like, we gotta be ready right then and there to be apologetic for the faith, to really give a, a well thought out reason why we believe it's true. Because we believe it's true. But if it's to be absolutely genuine, it has to go deeper than just, well, because my pastor told me it was or because my Sunday school teacher said this or gave me an anecdote or something. So, yeah, if, if people don't wake up to that and start doing their own research, they're going to be very poor uh, apologists. And that's that's just the fact of the matter. Yeah. I don't think everyone was called to, you know, being out there and doing these grand, grand calls and debating yeah. people on stage, but... On a personal level, we have to be able to hold our own. It is a war that we're fighting. <laughs> yeah, it is a spiritual war that we are engaged in. And it is important, at least just on the fundamental level. I know the word apologetics can scare some people. So if you don't want to use that, just use like, well, just reason out like what, why you believe the basics. Like just essentially, do you believe Christ resurrected? Yes. So why so? Blah, blah, blah. And things like that. But as I also know something personally. I'm not saying this affects everybody, but people are oftentimes content to not ask the uncomfortable questions. Like, so why do you feel happier when things are like, why do you have this hope that most people don't have? It's a question I've almost never received or like very rarely received, even if I try to emphasize that in like the words I'm saying, because people are content to just, like at least from my experience, agree like, oh, like at UT Dallas, there's a lot of people with very diverse backgrounds. So it's this perception of, okay, people believe different things. That's good. We can coexist together. And that is not the worst thing, but it's definitely not the best because, again, it leads to this acceptance of all worldviews are equally correct, which, of course, is not correct. Mm-hmm. And so it's that the, it, the uh, burden and the responsibility of asking the questions can actually fall upon the self. Yeah. And I'm still working on this, absolutely, because it is difficult to ask uncomfortable questions. It's difficult to instigate, start something, especially with someone that you feel like you're close with or you're friends with, or you know are not Christians. It's absolutely difficult. And the strategy I was that I've learned is like, well, ask the questions, hear the response, and act based on that. If someone is closed off to the faith, okay stay friends with them don't just say okay i'm done with you bye like mm-hmm. stay friends with them and if there's another opportunity that comes up then ask again but and if, but if they're open to it then you keep asking questions you learn more about it that's something that i know i need to implement because it's easy to tell you this but not actually easy to do so i'm putting it on the record that i know i need to work on it because it's something that i believe is important yeah 
And I think you're absolutely right about that because it's extremely difficult if you encounter people that, you know, like, okay, you could tell that their life's spiraling out, out of control and you know that they need God. Um, it's hard to, yeah, strike up that conversation and just, you know, say, hey, you know, uh, you know anything about religion? You know anything about God? It's the barrier there is thick and it's hard to, to pierce through that to even strike up that conversation. Uh, I think, you know, you're commenting, you know, you, you almost never or never asked, you know, like, well, why are you so happy or hopeful in, a, in any given situation? I think we're remarkably blessed here in America. We're not going through situations constantly where we should be afraid or in dread or, or panicking. I think that's really when, when Christian character begins to shine brightest is because when everybody else are losing their heads and they're, you know, running around screaming and the Christians are just sort of like, oh, hi, hi how's it going? <laughs> it doesn't bother us the same way. Yeah, sure, we still get worried and we still, you know, experience fear and all that, but the hopelessness, that's not something really that the Christian gets anymore. Even even the, the beginner Christian begins to realize, okay, well, this isn't my ultimate home. I really don't need to be worried about all these things to the same extent. And so, yeah, if we were in a, in a place where, you know, bad things are happening constantly and it's, you know, disaster after disaster after disaster, I think that's when you'd probably get more people going, like, well, why the heck aren't you, you know, just passed out from all of your worries? You're still functioning and you're happy and you're feeding people. And it's like, well... That, that's where I think that would begin to shine. I think America's going to get to that point eventually. We, we've had it too good for too long. and I, You can already see the writing on the wall where we're, we're going to begin to dip down into what other countries have experienced for years. You know, the persecu persecution of the Christian church is, is coming. It's just a matter of how long. Um, but I, I hope it's a long time. I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm happy not being persecuted at the moment, but... But it's so thrilling. You know what I mean? I, I think your brother was right in the sense that your your faith is strengthened to an extent by persecution. Because if you're never persecuted, you never really have anything to, yeah. to fight against or to really solidify your faith. If you don't have bumps in the road, you can't grow. Yeah. And I think a long period of uh, that lack of persecution can lead to wishy-washy theology, and which why I think a lot of the churches today are... You know, so accepting of the, the gay lifestyle, not as accepting of gays, which I think it's, you know, we have to be accepting of the people, but they're accepting people and the sin along with it. They're saying that lifestyle is perfectly fine. It's it's fine with, in the Bible, you know, the Bible's a living document, so we can just sort of gloss over the parts that absolutely condemn homosexuality and that kind of thing. You're seeing more and more of the breakdown of theology in some churches because they, they've never had to face real persecution. So when they get a little bit of persecution, they, they back off and they, they break down their, their own theology over it. So that's why I think some churches really, they're not professing the word as they ought or as, as strongly as they ought. Churches are, I think, weakening. Yeah. Some already are. Um, some of them practice the wrong belief, even though they take the name of a church. They practice something completely different. Um, and I think, you know, over the next many years we'll see the fall of uh, the modern you know christian church as a whole yeah. but i think uh with the future of what america is bringing and obviously all these new ideas of like you know like multiple genders sexualities all these different things um like legalizing pedophilia all these things this will probably um 
shine it will show who's really a believer and who's not it will pick off the week i think because you'll end up with a situation where the the true christians i hate to you know put a, a distance between a church and another church or the people of one church against another but you know people that are reading their bible and they're really dwelling in the word are realizing okay the things that that are going on right now are wrong and so they take a stand for it i i can see in the future where a church will absolutely condemn that person because they've become so wishy-washy in their theology and they they're too accepting you know that they want to to have the praise of all the people and they're not really taking a stand for God, and so they'll end up condemning the people that are trying to take that stand. That's probably the world we're going to find ourselves in eventually, where the church will still be around, but they'll be on the side of the devil, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Let's, let's hope that doesn't come quickly, but I think it's going to happen. We're already seeing it start, where, where churches are advocating for you know the intersectionality rights and, and whatnot. Um, it... it it's interesting. I, I hate seeing churches that do that, but it, it's it's begun, even on the surface, and um, it's only a matter of time before they yeah they form advocacy groups that are ta- attacking churches that don't align with their way of thinking. Um, churches which I believe would be more biblically sound in in a lot of those ways. But I was like, it, it's interesting. It's yeah. It's a hard it's a hard concept because the church should be unified. Um, now, all all the churches, yeah, regardless yeah. of denomination, they should be should together be. on the core tenets of the faith. Um, but some aren't. Yeah, it's not a new problem necessarily that the church is not unified, but that still doesn't make it any better. That, like, we're seeing a divergence even in Protestant Christianity, not just with the traditional denominations within Protestant Christianity, but even just an ideology in Protestant Christianity, where you have you have almost like two camps of people. You have one camp of people which basically is supporting like a more liberal Christian interpretation. You have another side promoting a more conservative interpretation. And to be honest, I see problems sometimes in both sides' interpretations. Mm-hmm. Like I see problems like as you point out with the liberal side, it's like look, acceptance of people who they are is good. Mm-hmm. Come as you are, but you don't stay as you are. And the problem with not with ignoring some passages, but promoting other passages, it could cause major problems down the line. Someone could believe something they don't know the fullness of, and when they understand the fullness of it, they may choose to reject it. Not saying they will, but it's a possibility. Right. And I think I think as well, maybe the conservative side as well. It's easy as well to like in like say things like people's sins that people commit. It's important to point out sin. I'm not denying that whatsoever, but. I'm also saying that sometimes people can experience misinterpreting, condemning something as sin, condemning the person themselves. I know you didn't emphasize that, mm-hmm. but it's something that people perceive. I mean, talk to people from both sides of it. They perceive that coming from the conservative side. They think that people just, oh, they have holier-than-thou stances, and they don't actually consider what I'm or someone else is going through. And because of that, People want to leave the church, leave to a more liberal side, because they're more accepting and they're more welcoming, and they actually can be, too. Yeah. It's, it's something that, I think there's probably a third side as well, but I, I can't think of it at the moment, but there probably is, for the record. I'm just saying in general that it is important that we defend the truths of the Bible. We should not wash over it, Mm-mm. but we also should not wash over 
the things that we know that we commit that we do wrong as well and just say, oh, let's emphasize some things more than others, unless if it's explicitly said to emphasize more than others. Right. No, no, no I think you're right. There's a, we, we all sin. <laughs> That's right. a certain. And I think, yeah, that could, that could be a pit that a lot of people fall into is they're, they're really quick to point at other people's sin. Like, look at what you're doing, you, you know. Without going, look, you know what, the stuff that I'm doing or that I was doing before I was a Christian is every bit as bad. And it's like, you need repentance and forgiveness. And like, come on in here. You love the sinner, but you hate the sin. Um, Liberals hate that. (laughs) Hate to say it. Well, people that are not Christians hate that because it goes against what they've formed in their mind as Christians, which is, you know, the Pharisaical, how holier than thou. They would love to to simplify Christianity into that mindset, whereas that's really not who true Christians are. We we care for people's souls, um, sometimes more than others. <laughs> I mean, it, we're all imperfect in that, but uh, we we do care that that they're actually getting what they need and not just changing how, their outward behavior without changing the inward. That's really where it's most important. Yeah, yeah, and that's definitely something that I think I've observed. There's a big flaw with the liberal movement of Christianity. It's not emphasizing the pursuit of souls or soul winning as the most important. It's like putting other things which are important and are good. Don't get me wrong about that. But there can be the emphasis of putting soul winning like a secondary or not primary. Not everyone does that, obviously. I want to also make that clear. And it's possible I could be misinterpreting it. But it's something that I believe I've seen. Yeah. And it's if people acknowledge more that, look, sometimes our viewpoints have mistakes. Sometimes we have to learn from them and move forward. We understand that we can disagree in things. But we also understand that we have a common pursuit. And the pursuit is to love God first and foremost. Love our neighbor as ourselves. And love is not easy. It's not something we can dismiss sin for because that's not true love. Mm-hmm. We acknowledge these basic fundamentals emphasize it hammer it down repeat it every single sunday every single week because it's so easy to just think oh i know the verse i memorized the verse so it's easy so i understand exactly what it means so if we just think about it that way then it becomes something like any other verse like drinking a sip of water it just becomes meaningless almost it actually has to be understood and lived out otherwise i believe we're going to see more fracturing more division more polarization and it's a path I'm seeing in larger society as a whole. It's not something I like to see. I know we all have people we like and don't like. But it's something that I'm seeing. I do not like it. I hope it changes. I Change starts with myself. It starts with us here. Yeah. So I know that was a little bit, a little bit not like congruent 100%, but it's just my feelings on it. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think, yeah. We're definitely, we live in a time now where like everybody's, kind of like think about themselves first instead of think about others first which is right. how we should kind of be doing it right but now it's all about you know you're wrong i'm not even right. though they could be wrong right. and that's how we see this and that's a lot well like our government and a lot of other people are reinforcing this idea when we shouldn't be doing that in the first place see the devil or demons or however you want to put it love to twist what is good and turn it into something destructive debate is not inherently a bad thing pointing out what people are doing wrong is a good thing it is not inherently a bad thing but there's the twist so it can be interpreted as hatred 
for pointing out someone they identify as something that is not not in line with biblical values. It can be twisted as hatred. I reject you for who you are. You're not worthy of the gospel. It can be what people can hear. Even if that's not what something people say mm-hmm. or actually even mean. And I'm saying it's just a problem with these good things. It's good to condemn sin. Absolutely. It's good to call out for what it is. It's good to debate and good to refine these things down. Good to point out what is wrong and reject it. But it's important that we don't twist these good things into something that causes destruction. Okay. Yeah, uh, you know, you're, you're right. And you know, along that lines, it's like talking to somebody about a sin that you see. It's a you know very flagrant, in-your-face kind of sin. I think you know nine, 99% percent of the time you're going to be met with immediate resistance because that's what people do. They, I think, people know that they're doing wrong. It might be a subconscious knowing that they're doing wrong, and they might not know exactly why it's wrong, but they get the impression some somewhere along the line that the things that they're doing are wrong. And when they're confronted about it, even in the most loving manner, they're going to be defensive and angry that you brought it up because it's, it's, it's bringing it to the front of their mind. They've been trying to push that guilt back as far as they can, and you just brought it up, and they're going to be angry about it. That's, that's just nature. <laughs> We, we want to, to stray as far away from God as possible by nature, and we want to forget about God and the fact that there is a, a true law and all of that. So that's, I think it's part of the reason why the darkness hates the light. It's because the light shines on <laughs> the things that the dark is trying to hide. Um, so it's like I can completely see why people immediately, they start interpreting the things that we're trying to do out of love as hatred because, right. you know, their barriers are going up and they're trying to do anything they can to you know demonize you so they don't have to listen to you because like if they if they have to listen to you then they'll have to agree with you because it's the truth so anything they can do to put barriers up and block you off even if that means you know creating a false hatred of you or or twisting what you're doing And, and again things that we could say definitely come across as as bad because I know I'm I'm of the well, I'm not the best at explaining exactly why I'm doing something <laughs> until after the fact. But yeah, things I do they, they can come across as like, oh yeah, he just hates my guts. It's like no, that's not the case. Let's see, you're doing this thing and it doesn't exactly seem right. I'm curious why you're doing this. So yeah, there's we're we're in a period of of imperfection. We're actively growing. All Christians are growing in the faith and and. We can even hurt other Christians um, in the things we say, the things we do, how we act. Um, but through God and, and through careful inspection of our own lives, I think he can, he can keep us all together. <laughs> I'm hoping. Right. And as we acknowledge and realize our brokenness and we realize how many things we get wrong on a daily basis, we realize God's grace for us and how, um, in, how um, incomprehensible that even and seem it's just unfathomable almost it also produces a spirit of humility and mm-hmm. with that there comes healing at least in my belief and it's it's something that again i also appreciate the fact that you pointed out that when we're in the middle of sin and when we're in the middle of something that we don't we're not proud of things we sin and the last thing we want to do is pray the last mm-hmm. thing we want to do is dive into the word when it's exactly the thing we need to do and so what we need is not always what we want. And that's also something that can factor into it. We also realize, like, I know, speak with people from the more liberal side of Christianity, like, they will also 
push things, pursuit of justice for a certain cause, and it's like, why do they do that? Because they view that as what is right, just as what you are doing, you view as is right. And when you understand like the the aspect, the psychology of why people do that, you understand, okay, that's what they believe in. I disagree with it, or I agree with it, that's fine. But then we understand this not malicious, it's not intent to destruction. It's It may cause destruction, I'm not saying it's not going to do that, but the intent is not to do that for most. Then that's where the playing ground is set. That's where the level ground for dialogue begins. And that's when the exchange of ideas begins. And that's when dialogue happens instead of destructive um, beatdowns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, you're right. Solomon said, uh, all the ways of a man are right in his own eyes. That's like it. People, people already, they're automatically like, yeah, what, what I'm doing, what I'm thinking has got to be right. And so if somebody challenges that or somebody's got just a little bit of a different interpretation, it's got to be wrong. And that must be overcome through hu- uh, humility and self-examination. Because I'm sure there's a lot of things I'm either too ignorant about or I've got the wrong idea about that I've just never confronted. And it, it'll just take somebody saying something that'll go, Oh, <laughs> like I've been, I've been fighting this idea for my whole life, and I've been wrong. Um, so, it, and it, it, true humility will take a lifetime of <laughs> of being wrong about things yeah. to, to perfect, yeah. and we won't be perfected in it in this lifetime. But yeah, and it helps to have people there to tell you, you know, this is right, this is wrong. So it, so sometimes you can't see what you're doing; it's right or wrong. It can be hard, so having somebody else look at it, it can help you, I think. Right. So. Yeah. Like, defend what you believe in and listen. It's yeah. like, don't do just one, don't do just the other. It's going to be both. Yeah. yeah. For sure. And I hope whoever listens to this, that they don't just hear, like, something they disagree with myself. If I said something they disagree with or something that other people hear that you disagree with or and you just conclude, oh, that means they think this, that, that, that. Or you agree with one thing that any of us said. You think, oh, they just agree with all this, that, that. No. It's like generalization is one of the things that can cause destruction as well because people are very different sometimes. Mm-hmm. People think people can think similar things in a group. But yeah. when you really pinpoint someone, you find these nuances. You find these complex things that you just would not experience if you just viewed it on the surface level. It takes work and it takes. it can't be lazy doing this. And that's the point. It's not easy. That's the point. Yeah. The extra effort put in reaps a reward. That's something I firmly believe in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's a shame. That, I mean, the the Bible is such an incredibly complex document. Oh, it is. <laughs> with, with with nuances and little little things sprinkled through. That it's like there's no wonder there's there's certain divisions in the church over certain things. Because of course, I mean, you know, predestination versus free will. Both are, are present equally in, in the scripture. I have my own ideas on it, which I think it's, a, it's an equal representation. It must be both. But then again, it's like there's good evidences for both. I agree. So I was like, I can, I can see why people would be fragmented on that. Now, I think the danger is picking one side and then just completely shunning the other. If both are present, there's got to be a reason for it. If God meant us to believe it was just predestination alone, I think he would only include that to be in scripture but yeah i think it's it's got to be a both there's a thousand things in scripture that are like that where you've got two concepts floating around or or two things that we can't even fathom them being intermeshed but 
you know, you've got strong belief on one side or the other. Um, in fact, back to C.S. Lewis, he, he always says the devil introduces things, uh, troubling things in pairs. And what happens is you might understand that both things are not exactly quite true in their, you know, in their polarized sides. So like, let's use politics as an example. You might have conservatism and liberalism as your two sides. It's like you might say, okay, neither of these two are perfect, but the danger lies in the fact that you have an idea of which one is less perfect than the other. So like for me, I think conservatism is, is a little bit better than liberalism. So I already have that bend towards one, and the issue lies in that, okay, neither of them at their poles are the best things, but I have a bend towards one, and that can be used to start pulling me more and more and more towards that ultimate pole. And that's what the devil often does is he'll go, okay, so here's the two bad things. You already, he'll, he'll give you that little bend towards one. And then through opposition to the other, he'll pull you all the way to what you don't want. And we don't see that happening. So it's like, I know not all things have to be a 50-50 mesh of both concepts, but a lot of times like we're, we're kind of called to believe right down that middle. And yet we've been pulled all the way to one side, and that creates great conflict with other people. That's something we've got to watch for. Yeah, and it's something that we have to determine for ourselves these relative scale of importance of values. I like to use something I heard in a church sermon once. It's something called the um, dark target analogy. So the, the most difficult part about this is defining the circles, the rows. That, I believe, is the most difficult. But other than that, it's relatively simple. So you have, imagine a dart target, you have three circles. You have an inner circle, you have a middle circle, and you have an outer circle. This innermost circle is the fundamental aspects of uncompromisable beliefs. For example, is Jesus God? Yes. That is not compromisable. Did Jesus resurrect from the dead? Yes. That is uncompromisable. This is a middle core value. This is something that you do not change, you cannot compromise on whatsoever. It could be as small or as big as you want, but I recommend only putting the absolute essentials of the Christian faith in here, nothing else. That's what I would recommend. Again, you can do however you want, but that's what I would recommend. That is the center. Then you have the middle. These are very important things like predestination free will arguments, how you interpret this, bunch of political arguments. These are very important things, but they are not absolute essentials. These are not salvic, salvation-determining things. If something does not determine whether you are a Christian or not a Christian, do not put it in the middle. Put it in the second ring. So have conversations, discuss, debate, disagree vehemently, fine. But remember the relative importance of it. This is not the integral gospel truths that must be defended to death. These are important things, but not the most important. That's the middle. And I believe this is the most important, yet difficult line to define. Finally, the outer circle. Very, very not important. Maybe it's a little bit important. Like, should I start church at 9.30 or 9.45 a.m. for my service? Should I, what should I wear for church? Like, um, should I delete Facebook for two months or three months? <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, these are still important, but come on. These are not that important. Do not lose friendships, relationships over these outer things. The middle is important. The center, you must be prepared to lose everything for it. But because these are the most important truths. But it's important to remember the scale of things.
So at the end of the day, when you have two problems, you have fundamentalists who put the inner circle as everything. The outer ring, yeah, you don't do that, you're not a Christian. Sorry. You don't follow this specific translation of the Bible, you're not a Christian. Sorry. You don't like you don't wear the proper attire, you're not a Christian. That's the extreme pole of fundamentalism, which has its benefits, but something I disagree with because of that specific principle. Then you have the other pole, universalism. Nothing is in the center. Nothing really matters, like Christian universalism. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what you believe. Who cares if Christ resurrected? I mean, he did resurrect from the dead, so that means whatever you believe, it doesn't matter. You could be Christian, atheist, Muslim, Buddhist, agnostic. You can be a conservative, liberal, anarchist, communist. It doesn't matter. It all is accepted and loved by God because God loves you and he will not send anyone to help. That is the universalist view, also wrong and extremely dangerous because then nothing matters. Why should I even obey the Bible if it doesn't matter? Why are you even doing this? Why are you even having this conversation of polarization or anything if nothing matters? Mm -hmm. So it makes this entirely useless because (laughs) it doesn't matter what you do, you're saved anyway. They'll disagree with that, but that's essentially what it is. And I challenge anyone who views that to, to, to point that out because I really don't see how that is even compatible with Christianity. I don't. And so you ignore these two poles and you define what you believe is most important. And those are the things you stand by. Those are the things you defend. And do not confuse this with the middle. Because if you do, you will defend things that are not essential, but you view as essential, or you'll go the opposite. You view things as not essential and they actually are. Define those lines right, and I'm still working on this. This is not something that's totally easy. But you define these lines properly then you will have a better perception on your beliefs, your core values, and what is most important to you and what is not. Amen. <laughs> no, that, that, I, I, don't, I couldn't have said that any better because you're absolutely right. Well, I still, it was an analogy from a different pastor. I'm just paraphrasing it. I like that analogy. No, that's great. I've never heard of that before. That's a good one. I, I, think, you know, I think that's where a lot of the... Uh, the different denominations run into trouble is, you know, they've got their target and, and sometimes they want to swap things that really don't have much importance much closer to the center core or even into the core than they really need to be. And so, yeah, that, right. that's where you have division. Like, oh, baptism is the most important. You're not saved unless you're baptized. So you, they swap that into the middle. It's like, I think it's important. I think it's, you know, the first act of obedience that a Christian can do in the Christian faith. But I think you could go to heaven without being baptized because we're baptized by the Holy Spirit. So it's like, okay, there's one of those things. And all the Baptists are, people who believe baptism is real big are going to come kill me now. But <laughs> you know, it's that kind of thing. They put too much priority on a non-salvatory issue. And so it, and then again, it's like, yeah, convincing everybody that one specific target that has things arrayed in a specific way is the absolute truth, it's going to be impossible. But so long as everybody believes those core issues that are absolutely important, I think that's where the, the unity of the church really is made manifest. Amen. It's like you're, you're, you're not ignoring the other views of other people, but you're not placing your, your core of your fellowship upon the, the second and third rings out. You're placing them on the core. And that's right. where you have your true fellowship with others. So like it's, it's a fascinating concept. Yeah. Not bad. I'm gonna make up my target now. See, what, see where I place things. 
Pretty good. Uh, I don't know if we should end things here. What are our time now? Hour and a half. Hour and a half. Okay. Yeah. Time flies, dude. It does. It man. does. This is a time good one. flies. Mm-hmm. I guess we could cut it off because we don't want to tie you up forever, Matthew. Unless you want to keep going. That's uh, up to y'all. We almost never go past two hours, so if you wanted to slog through another thirty minutes, that's uh, that's fine with us. I'm open for whatever. So yeah. Okay. He said, "Let's keep going." <laughs> <laughs> Tie him down. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be here forever. <laughs> I need help to get It happened to David. It can happen to anybody. Right. <laughs> yeah, he wrote me into this somehow. Yeah. <laughs> He's not allowed to leave. Right. I live here now. <laughs> yeah, in the New attic. Yeah. <laughs> it, oh, it's something, uh, something that came up when, when you were talking about that or something that came to mind is uh, the the concept of what a lot of Christians really, really want, and they I'm not even sure if they could say it in the same way or, or acknowledge it in the same way, but I think a lot of Christians would prefer to have a grandfather in heaven as opposed to a father in heaven, uh, just based on what that means. So, you know, like, I know, I know for my own grandparents, uh, you know, I'd go over to their house and they would shower me with all these good things. They want me to be happy. You know, so they they give me food, they give me gifts, you know, they're patting me on the head and saying, you know, no matter what I'm doing, they're happy, that I'm happy. Um, whereas your own parents, they're responsible for raising you to become a responsible adult. And so, you know, they have the task of disciplining you and making sure that you turn out to be who you need to be or, you know, the, the best representation of who they envision you to be. And so a lot of Christians, they want a grandfather in heaven, someone who's senile and, and who's Gives really them benevolent. just gifts. Yeah, who, instead who just of, wants them to be happy. Yeah. So no matter what they're doing, you know, it, it's okay as long as you're happy. So that sort of factors into the, the Christian uh, universalism, where it's like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what truth you believe. If you believe it, then that's, that's core truth for you. And, and it's enough to get you into heaven. Whereas people really, if they're honest, they don't like the idea of a father in heaven because it... it kind of has the connotation of discipline like you're going to do things that are are against god's law and he's got to discipline you to bring you back into line so that you're you're growing up in the faith to be where you know who he wants you to be people don't like discipline they don't don't like that idea that okay i'm beholden to something and to a law that i have to follow at all costs yeah um so it's, it's there's an interesting distinction. I, and, you know, I would put myself in that camp. If I could get away with not following the law and yet still had assurance of salvation, man, that would be the best, if I'm being truly honest. But I understand that's not the way it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's like, wouldn't it just be great if anything that made us happy was always the best thing to do? Like, it always produced the best possible outcome. But unfortunately, sometimes things that make us happy or things we like to do aren't the best. We have a very limited, small perspective on time because God can see past, present, and future. We can kind of see the past. Things are more documented than others. We can see the past somewhat. The present is what we perceive the most because it's happening right now as we speak. So that's something we can see. But the future is always hidden. There's so many projections that people make that are incorrect or off the mark. Just an off-topic thing, like March Madness, NCAA tournaments going on this weekend. There's millions, if not billions, some really large number of brackets entered. Someone would try to be a perfect bracket. You predict all the matchups. There's 64 teams in there. Actually 68, but they narrowed down to four. So 64. 
Guess how many brackets were perfect by the end of the first round? Probably uh, very few. <laughs> one. Trey says one. What about you, David? I'd, I'd say about uh, 50. Zero. Really? Now, mm. sometimes you get one or two, but zero this wow. year. So wow. I entered my own bracket because I was like, eh, why not? I want to just see how I do. And my bracket was perfect for, I think, two or three games until I think Oral Roberts upset Ohio State. And there, <laughs> yeah, I didn't even realize Oral Roberts existed until this weekend. And so they, so that my bracket started to totally fall apart after that. So it was just, mm-hmm. it was just a mess after yeah. that. But the, the point of that is predicting the future is difficult. We don't, we can project things, we can use. And part of my job is to use data to try to predict the future so the data can help for sure. But there's no absolute guarantee that what God knows is he knows the future. And he knows the things that may make us happy now, the things we want to do now, may not be the best. It could lead to some sort of unforeseen path of destruction, unforeseen path of good but not best. Which is another, I could get into that as well, but that's probably too long. But like, at the end of the day, since we have this limited perception limited perception excuse me of what we have it's it's just important to realize that god's in control and we're not so sometimes what we think is best is not actually best right yeah yeah i would say that yeah i mean we don't know like you know tomorrow's never guaranteed for you or me or anybody but we right. we know the present so we need to live in the moment and make the best of what we can from what we have instead of thinking oh i'll get it done later because right. you don't know if you're going to be here later or not. We don't know what's to come. So. Never kick repentance down the road because you, you don't oh, know what's coming. No. Don't do that. <laughs> so, I yeah. thought it was interesting. Uh, I asked Mr. Davis, who we all know, uh, mm-hmm. one time about how he interprets God's will for him. And that, that was before I had any inkling about you know, all the, the reading and, and praying and all of that to, to really see what God wants you to do. Mm-hmm. And he told me about all of that. But he also said, in his experience, um, for him, most of the time, if not all of the time, if he was faced with a choice between two things, almost always God's will for him was to do the thing he did not want to do. So it was like, if it was like, oh, somebody's asked me to come preach at their church, I really don't want to. Like, this is the only Sunday this month I would have to myself. Nine times out of ten, that would be the one he was, you know, he would ultimately take that choice. You know, it's like, okay, this would probably bless somebody or whatnot. But I thought that was fascinating because it's like that was not the choice that made him most happy. <laughs> he would have been perfectly happy to sit at home and do his own thing. But it's like, yeah, I think a lot of times we are called to do things that really are not our cup of tea or, you know, we're perfectly capable of doing them, but we don't want to. Um, and I constantly remind myself about that because there's – a thousand and one choices we make every day and uh how many of them do i make just out of self-interest like yeah i I don't want to talk to that person i'm too tired or i don't want to do this or that so it's like that that, he was exceedingly wise (laughs) that's interesting i never thought about it yeah like that to look at the thing you don't want to do as a thing to do and it's like it yeah it's probably not every time that's the case but a lot of times, yeah, because we we are all rebellious creatures. We're we're going to rebel against the things of God, whether you know whether we're really mindful of it or not. 
but that, that's a good uh, that's a good test to say okay what what do I really feel about this like I really don't want to go until the this thing person. you don't want to do is a really bad thing and then you go and do it anyways <laughs> see I think you know <laughs> it, it has to come down to like okay yeah. would this be a good thing to do anyway yeah like yeah if it was something really bad <laughs> yeah I'll do it anyways I don't want to do it <laughs> yeah I would not advise jumping out of a plane without a parachute or yeah, just things like that but that's where that breaks down I think hmm? yeah but that's a just in general that's a really good countercultural counter um, just human nature thing to do and now david pointed that out again i have to examine myself like wow yeah i make a bunch of choices that just well i think it's going to be happiest for me at the time or happiest for myself or just better in the future but that's not always the case you look at biblical heroes as well it's like gideon is like oh i'm not ready can you just show me like the wool, the fleece? Can it be wet, dry, whatever order that was in? Oh, one more time. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Now I will do it. it. No one was ever like, okay, now I am ready to go. All right, God, call me. And then boom, he called. No. Like, it's his timing for things. Sometimes we don't feel like we're prepared when we are because it's good to be prepared and prepare ourselves for the moment or whatever moments he calls us to in life. But sometimes we won't feel that way completely. We just have to trust by faith and go forward. Mm-hmm. And it's it's amazing. Uh, I'm I'm kind of looking forward to when I'm older, not because I'm, I'm I'm looking. You know, I, I don't want to be old, uh, but I'm looking forward to being older in the sense that uh, I'll be able to turn around and look back at my life and go, okay, like in the situation I'm in right now, I can see all of these things in the past that that God was doing to prepare me for whatever I'm doing now. I can see a little bit of that now looking back, but you know, the older you are, the more you have to look back at. Um, but you know, things little, little tiny um, obediences to God. You know, He might be calling you to do this or to do that. You know, He might not be demanding something huge of you back then. You might think, okay, oh, He's calling me to do this huge thing that I'm not prepared for. It, it, it just obeying Him then might be preparing you to obey him much larger in the future for some bigger work but you don't know that so you just got to sit there and go okay i'll I'll obey now i gotta trust god that this is in my best interest and it's in his best interest too you you don't know the the full extent of what he's doing until it's done and you can look back at it it's like god's timing you like you sit there and go like i would really like this to be done right now I, i i don't know why you're not doing it right now and you find out, you know, three weeks later, the absolute perfect situation or the perfect timing comes along and just, that's when it happens. You go, oh, I couldn't see three weeks in the future. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I waited. <laughs> but, you know, you see that same thing with, uh, with Saul, you know, when he was told by, by God and by Samuel, okay, like, don't sacrifice until Samuel shows up. Don't do the sacrifice before the battle. And then Samuel didn't show up. So, so I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll do the, the sacrifice so that we can go do the battle. And right as he started the sacrifice, Samuel shows up. <laughs> it's like, of course. buddy, <laughs> you're supposed to wait. I was like, I, I think we're all a little bit, of, we have a little bit of Saul in us where it's like, we know things we're supposed to do, but we're not supposed to do them yet. Until, we're eager. Yeah. Yeah. Over eager. So it, like, it could be for good reasons too. But if we do it based on our own idea of what needs to happen instead of relying on what god knows needs to happen then i think we're gonna mess things up and we're just setting up for failure yeah at that point we're not gonna mess things up permanently certainly but 
yeah, we'll, we'll learn a lot of good lessons the hard way that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Looking forward to that. Mm-mm. Mm, for sure. Yes. I know I got a lot of hard lessons ahead of me. Oh, no. <laughs> nah, you're past all that. Oh, no. That's in his no. past. <laughs> it's another concept of good versus best that I feel like God's trying to show me recently. Because sometimes I look back at the days that I've lived, and it was like, oh, yeah, it was a good day. I did what I wanted to do. I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish. So it was good. Quote, unquote, good. But sometimes I think, like, hmm, what could have happened better? Oh, I could have woken up earlier and practiced something or done something I wanted to do more. Eh, but that would have caused me to be a bit uncomfortable. And I don't want to be uncomfortable because comfort feels good. So, oh, well, it was still a good day anyways. But then I feel convicted. No, wait a second here. Life isn't a game. You don't get a respawn. You don't get a restart. You don't get a rewind. You don't get a pause. Each day, each week, each month, each year that passes by is permanent. And it's not like you can just press a button and generate another month. Oh, oops, I messed up last month. I'll get one more month later to make it up, like procrastination and all that stuff, which is such an easy thing. I know I fall into it a lot. (laughs) Oh, I'm glad we can relate. (laughs) But I guess it's just, it's something that I know, again, another thing I have to work on, another thing, a lot of things to work on, but definitely this if it's not the best then why did i not do the best what excuses am i making and a lot of times the excuses are just very shallow comfort or i'm gonna do this tomorrow and then tomorrow's five days ago just simple things it's not always gonna be simple but when it is simple it's really not much excuses to be made Hmm. it's just a choice that's all it comes down to and the choices we make to find who we eventually become to be. That's interesting. And, you know, it's kind of a, a parallel or an uh, illustration for that is uh, when when people teach you how to fight, like so if you get into martial arts or some of that, the way you train is they teach you the moves, so, you know, teach you how to punch and how to block. But when you practice, you're supposed to practice with control, but you every punch you throw, you throw it as hard as you possibly can, like your maximum exertion. When you block, you block as hard as you can. And you practice that way over and over and over again. Because, you know, when you get into a real fight, you, you can't, you know, do your little limp punch or, or block. You have to be ready to block with all your might because that might be the difference between you losing and, and winning a fight. But if you apply that to your own actions in a day-to-day, like if you're not doing your best that you could possibly do in any given situation, it's like you're practicing a weak punch. So if it ever comes down to an issue where, okay, I've got to apply the skill or you know, I've got to love this person in a certain way, it's like you've practiced all your life in a substandard way. So like the, the impact is not going to be as strong as it could be if you had practiced, you know, doing your best in everything. Again, I get we're all human, and uh, if we did everything as selflessly as we needed to, I know God could could uh, give us the strength to carry on, but I would be exhausted. <laughs> and I think that, that, that factors into the way I think. It's like, oh, man, if I'm exhausted, I can't do anything good, so I'll just I'll, I'll stay away from these things and, and uh, rest up and be lazy. I'm very lazy. <laughs> no, we all are. Yeah, and it's... <laughs> Oh, sorry, were you finished? No, yeah, yeah, go ahead. It's something as well that I know I define these two words differently. I'm not sure if other people do, but I'll just say it. So 
I tend to mix up rest with idleness. So let me define like idleness is just sitting around, letting the time pass by. It's like I'm watching TV, I'm surfing the YouTube, I'm just doing things like that. But I'm not, I'm not resting. I'm not reading God's word and truly just slowing down. Like there's nothing else except, except the Lord, myself. Just reading the word, quiet time, taking the time. That's something I definitely need to work on. It's, I'm not saying today is a day like God rested the seventh day when he created the world and the universe. I'm not, taking, I'm not intentionally saying aside a day where I will be less productive to recharge and to do something I enjoy doing that's still productive but not extraneous, not exhausting. That's what I would define as rest. And I believe both are, very, are almost equally important because if you rest too much, it becomes idleness, laziness, and then you let too much time fly by. Again, one day out of seven, the biblical model. It's not seven out of seven. But if you work too much, you're going to burn yourself out. At least some people can go all the way, but I know I can't. I know I'm going to burn myself out. And so it's that would lead to less productivity in the future than if you took the rest day. Then you could be more productive for a longer amount of time. So again, that's just a life model that I'm trying to implement as well for best. But again, a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's good that you're you're thinking about the things there's a lot of people that you know they they don't they're not mindful of their situation to the extent where they're going okay i'm looking at myself looking at what's going on and then like how how can i more closely emulate christ and things and 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 what what do you think god would have for me so it's i think that's a crucial skill for every christian is to self-examine all the time and and really see okay what's what's going on with me so often we you know, we might pick role models that we think are, are really good representations of Christians, and we try and emulate them without necessarily emulating Christ and, and looking at ourselves and going, okay, how, how can I best approximate him and what are the things I'm doing wrong? So I think you're very far along in that. If, if you're already picking out the things that you need to work on on a regular basis, it's like, bingo, <laughs> that's, that's good. Oh, it's easy to point things out. The, the thing that's difficult is actually doing it. Yeah. actually playing into practice that's true that's what i have to work on it's <laughs> like yeah. easy enough right just just fix it yeah oh if only it were that easy yeah i wish it was it yeah I, I hear you because there's a thousand and one things i wish i could just snap my fingers and fix but it's definitely a process people that are strongly emphasizing that it's an instantaneous like no no, no. never has been <laughs> yeah and it's like Another, like, one thing with social media and things like that is the aspect of comparison when we see, oh, someone's life is perfect, someone's doing things better than me, they look better, they do better things, they do whatever you want to do, fill in the blank. But we look at the biblical model and we see that, well, who are we responsible for? Like, what, who are we accountable for? We're accountable to God for the way we live our own lives. So someone else, their picture of best may not be a realistic depiction. Because they may have things they're hiding, things that they're broken in, things that they definitely wouldn't share in front of the world. But even for argument's sake, say that their version of reality that's depicted is actually accurate, even then it's still important for us to not view that as a standard. Because what their best may be is not our best. Our best is different because it's defined by like our circumstances, our position in life, what we can do, what we cannot do, the good old serenity prayer, the things, Lord help me to determine the things that 
I can change, I can't change, and the discernment, discretion to know the difference, something like that. So when we follow those principles, it's it will help us. And if we compare and look at other people's best, then it's going to hit a much worse level. It's going to be lower than what we want. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you can look at people and and see things that they're doing and be like, maybe I should work like they're doing something better than me. Maybe I should work on this. And then you can get inspiration from others, but you can also see things and be like, I'm also doing that and I don't like that. So you can take that out of your life. But I, yeah, it goes back to like, yeah, we definitely help each other grow. And that's kind of the point. So we're not always going to be able to do everything right, but as long as you're trying, it'll grow. So it's like you can have human yeah. role models, but uh, the ultimate role model, of course, yeah. is Christ, especially how we're supposed to, you know emulate his selflessness and and his walk Um, but i think matt's absolutely right in the fact that you know a lot of what people display especially with the advent of uh, social media the only things they're going to put on there is is their little snippets that they've carefully manicured to be as perfect as they can manage yeah you know and so they they might go out and rent a fancy car and and take a picture with it and (laughs) act like that's their whole life and you know that's that's very depressing to a lot of people that don't realize okay you know that that's really not the way they live they just don't want you to see the bad parts of yeah. life just yeah. like you don't want anybody to see your bad parts of life right right everybody right. wants always, to hide that yeah uh again back to why the darkness hates the light we, we sort of sequester a little something in there yeah um you know the whole christian thing is flinging that out into the open and getting god to work on it for us because we can't do it ourselves but uh yeah, it's like I feel sorry for the people that that get wrapped up into that whole social media thing and where they feel like okay, all of my friends are living such perfect looking lives, and you know I've got to be able to to do that too, and so they push themselves into a strange situation to try and you know approximate that. It's like it's it's all fake. Most all of it's fake anyway. Yeah, yeah. Everybody and, lives a perfect life. <laughs> and. I have noticed recently that there are some people who are posting more, quote, real things or more brokenness or more vulnerable posts. But again, social media, in my view, it's it's a tool like any other tool you can use in life. Again, the devil, demons can love to use these tools and twist them into acts of destruction. But it can be a good tool to communicate, good way to share life updates with friends you care about. It can be used for good things with any tool it needs to be used wisely and carefully. Mm-hmm. So it's not a hard, fast rule that social media is good or social media is bad. It's something... Table. <laughs> Maybe, no, you're right. I think, David, uh, if if you've talked about this in the past and made an argument why it's evil, I'm sorry for like, just no, no. infringing I, I dislike it just because of the way I've seen some people, some of my friends have you know gone way overboard. Oh, so it can be. It's like It can yeah. be a very unhealthy thing. Do I think... If I used it, it would be unhealthy. I don't know. I, I don't necessarily want to take that plunge. Yeah, it's not for everybody. If you don't feel called to use social media, then don't just because other people are doing it. If you know you can use it as a tool to glorify God and to use it for beneficial purposes, then use it. But again, if you feel convicted not to use it, I'm not saying to use it. Don't use it. Yeah. Do spend better things with your time and your life doing Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you're you're correct in that because like I think some people are called to use it to to glorify God and others probably not so much. And, and there's inherent danger in whatever you do. So it's like, right. yeah, I might not be in connection with somebody that I could really help, 
or that they could really help me in a, in a situation where I need help. Uh, and same with the other person. They might get in a situation where they're overwhelmed and, and place too high of a priority on being connected with everybody or being, you know, liked by everybody. Because I know that's mm. extreme pressure on a lot of social media. It's like you, you put something out there you think is right, people might attack you on it. And there, there's such a... It's, it's easily abused in both situations. So, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. It can definitely... Balance. Be, <laughs> we need balance. Yes. It can definitely be abused, and it's definitely something that is dangerous. Again, use it carefully. Yeah. I agree. So go tweet this to all your friends. Uh, join the MSG uh, podcast social media. <laughs> like and subscribe, remember? That's a, that's a great end point, because we can end it now. Yeah, we probably need to cut it off, so we're not here till after dark. <laughs> we'll be here all day. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Anything you want to say at the end, Matthew? Yeah, well, once again, thanks. Thanks, Trey. Thanks, David. Thanks, y'all, for just inviting me here. I really do appreciate it. It was a great conversation. Hoping to do this again sometime. So yeah, thank you. Sure. Love to have you back. Love to have you. Yeah, thank you. So, sure. Yeah. Uh, like, um, yeah, thanks for listening, not watching. Yes, right. Because we don't have video. I don't know if we'll ever have video. I don't know. No, maybe works. one day. Maybe one day. Not. When it becomes huge and famous. In 30 years down the road. Yeah. see what we look like. Yeah, then they'll know what we look like. Uh, yeah. Um, David, any last words for us? As always, Boeing. Classic. <laughs> That's David's motto. That's right. We've, we've been doing that every episode. We won't stop now. That's right. We won't stop that. So. <laughs> awesome. Um, awesome. We'll catch everybody later, I guess. We'll see you on the next one. So, peace. See ya.